Welcome to How We Run, the podcast about nonprofit success. I'm Trent Stamp, CEO of the Eisner Foundation. And I'm Julie Lacatur, and I help nonprofits with strategy, fundraising, and digital media. On this episode, we are joined by Nick Carranza from UCLA Health, who talks to us about best practices for social media. He takes us through a couple of campaigns they've done during the pandemic and during normal times. Hey, Trent, how's it going? It is uh, fortunately or unfortunately going exactly like it was going last time we talked. It's a lot of garage time. It's a, uh, a lot of trying to figure out what this new normal is, but, but we're doing okay. And I can see that you have a quarantine beard. I have a spectacular quarantine beard. I'm, <laughs> I am about uh, three more podcasts away from being Tom Hanks and Castaway. Perfect. Uh, and, and I'll be I'll be the ball. You just talk <laughs> at me. I'll record it. It'll be perfect. You announced this morning uh, a couple of emergency grants. Yeah, we're calling them rapid response grants, just because we don't necessarily do emergency funding because we're not particularly great at that. Tell me, um, wait, tell me the difference between emergency funding and rapid response. How do you draw that line? Well, I tend to think of emergency grants as, you know, people who are on their roof during Hurricane Katrina. And if we don't get them a boat, they literally are going to die in a few minutes. I mean, okay. that's not the type of funder we are. That's not the type of work we do. We work intergenerationally between you know seniors and kids. And we're trying to make LA a, a more humane, a more compatible, a more compassionate place. So with our rapid response grant, we wanted to get money into the community and get it to those who can best use it. But we were very specific in that what we were trying to combat was not COVID-19 specifically, but social isolation and loneliness for seniors, which is, of course, a secondary effect and an effect that can have immense health impacts on seniors. We decided to try to identify some organizations that could help work with social isolation specifically for seniors, both to make sure that today they're being heard, uh, they're being connected to services if they can be, that they have groceries if possible, but also for tomorrow that we're prepared for a society where we can take better take care of our seniors and, and try to connect a younger generation to them. And that's a lot of work through technology, call centers, call hub connections, and really kind of setting up these organizations that have relied on face-to-face -face interpersonal connection between younger people and seniors to have other ways to address that moving forward. So we made six grants today. We'll probably make another six next week and then another six after that until we run out of the funding in this particular grant pool. And then we'll have to figure out how best to proceed from there. But what is important for us is that these are organizations that applied for a grant last week and they'll get their check this week. That's great. Do you want to know where I found out about this information? Lord, I hope it was Twitter. It was on your LinkedIn. It was via social media. <laughs> there we go. We Transition are, right into the, to today's episode. We're trying to connect and get the word out, but Lord knows we could use some help from a true professional. What are your goals as a foundation with social media? Just to reach more people, you know, to, to broaden our voice. Hopefully we can use social media as a way to reach new audiences, to connect people, to share new ideas, to tell people about things that we think are interesting and cool, whether it's what we do or what others do. And hopefully we can use it in some way or another, you know, to build a movement around the things that we care about, which is connecting people intergenerationally. 
When you talk about building a movement, do you find that people see the posts that you have about the intergenerational stuff and it inspires them to do more in their organizations? When we do it right and when we're lucky, yes. But it's fair to say that the movement is in its infancy at this point. I think what you just said there is indicative of how a lot of people feel about social media, which is when we're lucky it works out. So hopefully today's guest will help us figure out how to move past luck and give us some tips on that. We're joined today by Nick Carranza. Nick is a multifaceted content producer and senior strategist at UCLA Health. He's also a photographer and an art director, and he's won a Webby Award, and he's been nominated for an Emmy. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. So Nick, I'm so glad you could join us. Before we get into what you're doing today, why don't you tell us about what does the team for social media look like at UCLA Health? It's a pretty scrappy team, to be honest. You know, there's a total of three of us, but we all have different service lines and sort of different priorities. When I originally came on to to UCLA's team, I was brought on for pediatrics. And uh, pediatrics is something that I'm very passionate about and, you know, worked at competitor hospitals, specifically children's hospitals, and really enjoyed sort of the camaraderie that you find in those environments. And so at UCLA Health, you know, I'm finding myself to be in an all-hands-on-deck situation. Our duties are expanding. There's the general UCLA Health social media accounts, and those are sort of the, the I would, would, would guess we can call them the mothership. <laughs> you know, those are the mothership accounts. And then there are smaller accounts. For instance, UCLA Health has uh, different facilities throughout the, throughout the, the county. Of Los Angeles, and but the, our main flagship locations are Santa Monica UCLA Medical Center and Ronald Reagan UCLA Medical Center, and so both of those have their own accounts, but they're significantly smaller than the UCLA Health handle. Pediatrics has its own accounts, the UCLA Mattel Children's Hospital, and then a couple other programs have their own official accounts. And I think UCLA was very smart in understanding that you can't have multiple accounts without having multiple staff members managing them. So they've, throughout the years, they've done a really good job of keeping it manageable. All right. So you're three people then. In normal time, you handle producing posts and then also responding to and posting, or how does that break up? Yeah. Community management is a really big part of any, I think, nonprofit and hospital infrastructure for sure. We're handling everything from, you know, general congratulatory sentiment to actual customer service and patient experience responses. Our team has done a really good job, you know, no credit to myself at all. My colleagues really put in a great infrastructure for patient experience. So that's covering everything from Google reviews to Yelp reviews. We have patient feedback portals and on the more positive side, you know, care compliments. So if you went to UCLA Health and you had a really good experience and you wanted to personally thank uh, your doctor, there's a portal for that and our team manages that as well. So Nick, eight weeks ago, that's your job. Six weeks ago, everything changed. Walk us through specifically, what did your team do to respond initially to the COVID-19 pandemic? What was your charge from your superiors and how did you feel it needed to be implemented from there? And what were your goals? Our goals were getting back to basics by approaching the customer service angle and making that our primary focus we realized that we needed to serve the community in the way that they expected us to. And so being all hands on deck, you know, is wonderful, but without structure, it could easily become chaos in this type of circumstance. And so one of the first things we did was develop FAQs um, that were just quickly accessible information that hopefully met the customer's questions 
um, before they became panicked. And so when we developed that, we realized that, you know, we probably should put together a microsite and just kind of like a small detail that, but I think is really important is set up vanity URLs. Because when you think about social media and sort of limitations on platforms like Instagram, that doesn't necessarily have easy, easy click-throughs, just a memorable URL is really important. So with UCLA Health, we made it uclahealth.org slash coronavirus. Because at the time, it, it was coronavirus and not COVID-19, you know? So, so just having like the, the, the little tiny details really make a big difference. And then got to give a lot of credit to our team. They managed to la- uh, launch a chat bot in record time. And so if you go to uclhealth.org, you'll see a, a chat bot feature. You know, obviously it's uh, artificial intelligence, so it's learning as it goes, but so it's not perfect, but I mean, it's definitely another layer of, of support that wasn't there before. So w- when you talk about your customers, are you talking specifically about UCLA patients or is there a broader constituency that you're trying to serve? Is it the general public as a whole who would look to a place like UCLA for guidance, for wisdom, for something less than hysteria? Do you take that into account or are you just trying to explain to people, these are the best precautions that you can take when you come into our office and yes, our elective surgeries are canceled now and, you know, and these types of nuts and bolts things that, you know, I as a consumer and a customer of UCLA might, health might ask, who exactly is your customer base when you go to work and try to craft these types of messages? The answer is different today than it was prior to March 15th. Before COVID, you know, there was friendly competition between us and our competitors. We all, you know, have a desire to, to, to develop our, our customer list or our patient list or, you know, patient population um, based on the services that we offer. But once COVID hit, we realized that our calling was much different than, you know, patient recruitment. You know, our, our customer went from being prospective patients to the entire county, entire state, entire country, and in some cases, the entire world to look for answers. Because UCLA Health, David Geffen School of Medicine, highly intellectual, very sought after researchers are actually on the front lines trying to develop an answer. And so our customer base went from prospective patients and patients to all of a sudden the entire country at minimum who were looking for answers. So you actually take that into account. You, you Ab- think about your sliding audiences, your expanding audience in a time like this. Absolutely. And UCLA, I think, is fortunate to have a, a reputable name. And so we are very much at the forefront of people's um, minds when they're thinking about health and sort of health research. I want to go back to something that Trent asked. What was the directive from the leadership at UCLA Health and what they wanted to achieve via social media? I wouldn't say that their directive was solely social media. It was that the team had a bigger calling at this point. We didn't even know at, the, at this point what to expect in the weeks or days to come. So we were taking it day by day. And UCLA Health's leadership has been very transparent in letting us know how we can not only protect ourselves, but protect our patients. And so we as a marketing and communications team would then take their messaging and figure out manageable ways to get that to the public in the the quickest way possible. I think what you said is really important for other organizations to hear is that social media does not just stand on its own. It is part of a broader Marcom strategy. Absolutely. I mean, before COVID, and and I, I think 
still during COVID. I see social media, you know, obviously it's matured over the years. And I think social media is very much a distribution platform more than anything. And what you choose to distribute on that platform, you know, may vary from industry to industry or organization to organization. But if you treat it like a distribution platform, you'll start thinking of it a little bit differently and and use it a little bit differently. Hence the microsite. Right. (laughs) And hence hence the fact that you're the very first person ever to say that social media has matured um, (laughs) over the years. So, but I I understand what, I understand your point, which is that it is a delivery mechanism and UCLA Health can use it to provide sane and responsible guidance to people in countries far away. After you got through the initial like customer service response and emergency information out there, how has your strategy changed? I think there's two sides to our approach. There's the customer service response, and then there's the, I guess you can call it plain offense, right? So what, is, what can we as a marketing team do as marketers to bring some normalcy to the situation? And so our leadership in, in, at UCLA Health decided to create a campaign called Team LA, so hashtag Team LA. And its objective is simple. They saw an opportunity to unify the city under one rallying cry, right? And so that rallying cry is Team LA, and, and it's kind of under the mantra of, we're all in this together. And that couldn't be more true in a pandemic. You know, people are fighting COVID-19 in their own way across the country. So yeah, it was just a, a, a good-natured, unifying opportunity for us to just have a voice of positivity in the uncertain times. And so we launched it in probably late March and it's received over 405 million impressions. But the really important metric is that 275 million of those impressions were mentioned by 2.3 thousand unique profiles who also mentioned UCLA Health. And so from, wow. a branding, from a branding perspective, 2.3 thousand people who hadn't mentioned UCLA Health before are all of a sudden talking about UCLA Health. Yeah, that's neat. That, Can that's you, a really interesting win for us. Yeah, that, that's neat. I like how you broke down what was important about that hashtag too. I think people get excited about using one and then aren't really sure about what road they're on with it. Can you walk me through a very simplistic timeline of how one rolls out a hashtag? Just do it. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, it's obviously important to think about what role as an organization do you naturally fit into during any situation? How relevant is your voice in this conversation? So with Team LA, you know, we had partnerships in place that could really help this fly and and partnerships meaning you know celebrities and sports partnerships so we're partners with the Dodgers and the Lakers and everybody wanted to get involved in some way shape or form. Did you reach out to them offline though or you just started using it on Twitter one day and then they saw it? Everybody on the marketing team was quick to figure out how they can help and so when Team LA was born we all had a common objective now. It's like, okay, what in my little space of this marketing department can I contribute quickly? And so, you know, my colleague, Eric, he runs our sports uh, partnership opportunities. He reached out to the Dodgers and Lakers and said, hey, you know, we have this simple idea. You're already wanting to show some support for the frontline workers. If you're going to make any content about how you're supportive of everyone on the front lines, you know, just use the hashtag. 
I think what you just said is so important because sometimes I think the belief that if you put something on social, it'll go viral. But what you're talking about here is the important work, the heavy lifting of what's our position in the market, what role should we have, what should we call it, and what is the spirit behind it, and then let's get on the phone and talk to people about how they can use it too, so that when you do start using it, there's a groundswell of support ready for you. That's that's the word I use all the time is groundswell. Yeah. You know, and the biggest groundswell comes from the audience you already have, whether that's it's right. on social media whether it's your employees. I mean, you just have to be realistic. You know, if you're in a small city, you might not get a million impressions. Right. But perhaps you're seeing engagement from new community members or businesses in your community. Um, So one of the pieces of content that I'm most proud of is just the organic outreach to what we call Team New York. When they saw a spike in COVID-19 patients, so in their darkest time during COVID-19, we just did a, we just put up a post that said, you know, we heart, Team New York. And our audience, you know, jumped in and used it as a vehicle to start thanking people in New York. That's the spirit of, of Team LA. It's just, it's good natured. And like I said earlier, it's a unifier. I'm curious, how do you measure your success on social media? How, how do you know you're doing a good job? It can't simply be the number of likes or the number of retweets or, you know, Maybe that's how I measure it as an immature social media user. But for someone working at UCLA Health in a position like yours, how do you measure success? I think a lot of it has to do with intent. So let's say, for instance, I was producing a blog post and I was using social media to promote that blog post. As a department or even as an individual, you, you have to understand what KPIs actually connect to the intent of that piece of content. For those that are not familiar with the with what a KPI is, do you want to explain that? Oh yeah, your key performance indicators. So what piece of data will will corroborate your efforts and ultimately allow you to call it a successful campaign or successful promotion? And so once you are able to identify what those key performance indicators are, there's other things, other nuances to content and content development. For instance, stories, you know, what makes this story story extraordinary? What makes it unique? Really kind of being obsessed with the work. I would just encourage you know, the audience to, to not sell themselves short when it comes to actual content and social media. You know, think of it as like running a race. You spent all this time developing content. And then when you get to the finish line, aka distribution, in a race, you're not going to walk through that finish line. You're going to put as much energy or even more energy into actually reaching that goal. It sounds like what you're saying is that there's different KPIs for different pieces of content. Right. So for storytelling, you might be looking at some more engagement type stuff, but then for some kind of responsive campaign, you might be looking at website traffic or follow through through those distribution channels. Yeah. Can you share some of the KPIs you look at on a regular basis? So for our stories, the most important metric for any story that we develop we see is website traffic and that comes via click-throughs. And so what's the point of developing stories if people aren't reading them? And so the click-through rates, the number of click-throughs, the unique click-throughs and unique page views are really important. Engagement is fantastic. You know, that's another KPI that we do look at. 
engagement, you know, how many comments are uh, people leaving, um, the likes, the shares, that type of engagement. But if your engagement is through the roof, but your click-throughs are, are not, then, you know, you have to really ask yourself, is my objective of getting people to read this story, you know, is it, does it really count? And so, you know, with any nonprofit, there's also the, de the development arm of things. So, you know, fundraising. And so with that, there's different KPIs involved. There's no one, there's no cross the board KPI. You know, you have to really look at individual assets and their intent and associate the appropriate key performance indicators to that piece of content in order to have a, a, an honest assessment of how they performed. So Nick, in normal times, which I say, like, I feel like they might come back someday. So that's hopeful of <laughs> me. How would you plan out content production? We'd like it to be calendar based, but <laughs> you know, <laughs> unfortunately things don't always play out that way. And so we are very reactive, you know, things happen and we've have, we have to be flexible. And I think that's really important for nonprofits, especially the smaller ones to understand that you don't have to be perfect and you just have to be able to, to show up and put out content that your audience appreciates. And you don't have to be at every dance. I think we try to prioritize based on institutional goals. So in a hospital setting, you have key service lines. You know, cancer is a priority. You focus on your cancer content and try to develop around that. A lot of our competitors, and, and including ourselves, you know, we focus on a calendar year and highlight, you know, World Cancer Day or Childhood Cancer Awareness Month and those types of things. I personally don't like to get tied into those types of months. Not to say we don't recognize them, but I don't like to build my content around them because those those days keep growing and growing and growing. And, and it's important for nonprofits to assess their resources and understand that recognizing every single holiday is hard. You know, it's very difficult and requires resources. It requires money, you know, and it requires lots of time. And, and if you don't have the resources to recognize every holiday, you don't want to open up that can of worms. So what is your advice for making a good social media post? To make a good social media post, I think you have to be obsessed with every component of the social media post. It's, it, I mean, to be honest, it's fairly basic, but you have to understand that people consume things differently. Some people are visual. Some people like words. It's going to vary by platform, but let's take Facebook because it, it tends to be the most, in some ways, the most complicated. You're fighting for people's attention on the actual feed. And when you do get their attention, you have a split second to either captivate them or they scroll right past you. And so when you look at a Facebook post, there are two things that stand out in an average you know, link post. So a, a post that was intended for click-through, generally used by newspapers and bloggers and who want people to, to read their content. You guys too, because you want people to read their content on your website, yeah, right? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, a, a small win for us is getting people onto one of our owned properties, so like our website. Mm -hmm. And so as they're scrolling through Facebook, there are two things that really stick out. I would say the headline, so the big bold headline that's under the photo or video, and the actual visual asset, whether it's a photo or video. And then there's the caption, and that's the text, you know, where it gives more context. If you're very deliberate, they're very intentional about what you're writing in that big, bold headline. And you're intentional about, or complimentary, actually, about what your photograph or video is. It certainly puts you at an advantage to get someone to pay attention to you. And so when I work with writers, I really, 
I obsess with them about the headline because a good headline is make or break on whether someone stops and actually reads. If it's irrelevant to them, they'll scroll right past you. I see organizations sometimes um, give social media to a young person on staff and are like, go to town. And for the first 30 days, they have enthusiasm and energy and they can just like kill it. And then after like, after a month, a month and a half, it feels like a slog of like, yeah. oh, what am I going to post now? And like coming up with content ideas. How, how do you get over that hurdle? I would advise nonprofits to treat social media as a, as a proper marketing channel. And, and the way you do that, like I think in marketing in general, rule number one is to understand who your audience is. And nonprofits generally have three audiences. They have their internal audience, which is you know, staff and to some degree volunteers, the community, right? So people that benefit from the services that you provide. And then your philanthropic audience, your supporters. And so to break them, break each one of those down. With your internal audience, your staff and your volunteers, you're obligated to provide some sort of reassurance, you know, as it relates to COVID-19, you know, for us, it's, we're working quickly to keep everyone safe while we focus on our mission to the community, you know, during COVID-19, you know, we're obligated to provide proactive communication on how expected services will be interrupted. It's open and open and honest communication goes, goes a long way, especially during a crisis. And then with your philanthropic supporters, the one thing they want to do in this type of situation is know how they can help. And so the more you can streamline the communication and make it easy for them, it, does, it provides you some opportunity as well. You know, you can figure out ways to thank them, which will keep them motivated. We're seeing small businesses, you know, just respond and, you know, whether donating food or donating, you know, PPE supplies, you know, they are just ready and willing and we just need to direct them. You have to treat it like a community, right? And when you're speaking to someone, you want them to know you're talking about them. And so right. the best way to do that is to tag them. So obviously not every nonprofit and most of the nonprofits that listen to this podcast are not of the size and scope of UCLA Health. What kind of advice can you give to the smaller nonprofit that wants to utilize social media effectively and has been told by their board that if they just use social media, all the money will come flying in the door and they will be as famous as, insert random, large, ambiguous nonprofit here. What can they do? I think just stopping and assessing, you know, what are they really good at? Do one thing really well, you know, get to, you know, get to know, get to be known for that. One you do thing. mean operationally, right? You mean yeah. we're really yeah. good at delivering meals to low-income kids in this particular neighborhood. We right. know we are the best at doing that. So let's now tell stories about that particular activity that we're really good at. And when I say stories, I'm using it as an old person referring to just stories in general and not yeah. one particular product on one particular social media site. Yeah. yeah. Trent, I mean, at least you knew it existed. So that's I'm, good. I'm, I'm, I got a 17 year old and a 15 year old in my house. So I'm, I'm, I'm dangling by, by an edge in the social media world. Yeah. I think like it, it is very important to, to think of things sustainably. You know, you want to, we want small nonprofits to, to last, you know, in the smaller shoestring budget nonprofits, they've got to fundraise, you know, they've got to compete but it's got to be in a realistic setting. And, and unfortunately, a lot of 
smaller nonprofits can't compete with the big budgeted marketing teams that some of these larger nonprofits have. So identifying what they're really good at, perfecting it, and then measuring, me- measuring how it can, can, be, can be sustainable for their long-term growth. I think the thing with some of the smaller nonprofits that Trent's talking about is, is resources, right? Mm-hmm. I think what we've learned from you today is that social media is a distribution tool and it should start with the content that you as an organization have. And your content can be stories, it can be pictures, and it can be the services you provide. For small organizations that might not have great pictures or the ability to write great stories, where do they start? I mean, they really should start in their community. The people that they serve. I mean, there's a plethora of stories that just come out of the people that are benefiting from your program. Whatever service you're providing, your your audience is your community and your community is your content. And you don't need to have polished content. It's more about just being in the moment, being, being along for the ride with the people that you serve. I'm a big, big advocate of, of documentary style photography, photojournalism, that type of really scrappy, raw storytelling where you tap into the emotion of whatever your mission is. With that being said, you know, you can do a lot with a phone these days. You, you don't have to be the best writer. You just have to be in the moment, capture that moment, and articulate that moment to your audience. How do you get permission to get the content that you need? I mean, you literally ask for permission. And if you don't, you don't do it. We have to practice what we preach when it comes to compliance. You know, social media as a, as a team is no exception to the rule. So the fact that I get to run around the pediatric floor with a camera doesn't mean I get to shoot anything I want. It means that I have an opportunity to ask a family if it's okay if I photograph them or their child and help tell the story of the services that they're being offered mm-hmm. or their experiences at the hospital. But it um, sounds like you also have built up a cache of pictures that you can rely on for multiple situations that you've already that have already been permitted to use. Yeah, sometimes it's very important to constantly be updating any type of repository of photography or or content because the information changes so much. So we have to be very diligent and take that responsibility very seriously to ensure that we are using content that actually, I mean, I guess to basically simplify it, that's in good taste. Yeah. Respectfully, right? You know, being respectful of the family and sort of their own personal health journeys. Any tools you use to organize yourself as a social media producer that you would recommend to others? Excel spreadsheets, you know, can never go wrong. I personally am a fan of using the actual platforms to get my data because I feel like there are a lot of really good third-party tools, but there are limitations to a lot of third-party tools. And so when it comes to data or actually just mining for information, I like to go directly to the platforms. It's a more manual process, but that's my preference. And it's sort of been the best source of truth for me. Slack has been around for for a little while now, but our team just adopted it during COVID-19. And it's been incredible. I've used it at other organizations, but UCLA Health just started using it and it's fantastic. Is that how you're organizing the production of your content? That's how we're organizing a lot of communications with one another, fast answers, accessibility. Slack has been incredible, but our team has really adopted Smartsheet. So Smartsheet is kind of like Excel, but it kind of combines uh, Gantt chart, calendar views, sort of a a traditional Excel 
document style format. So there's, there's a lot of possibilities in it. You can do, uh, I like, I like Trello. Mm-hmm. So you can build a little, like a little mini Trello in Smartsheet. Like the, so the card format, I guess. Is yeah. What I'm, what I'm getting at. Like Asana um, or Trello or all yeah, of those kind yeah. of software. Yep. So it has all that kind of built into itself. And so Smartsheet has been a new tool that we've adopted as a department. It's easy to collaborate with one another on it. Nick, thank you so much for being here. It was a real pleasure having you. Great. Thank you. I really appreciate you guys asking me to be on. Thanks, Nick. Keep up those 12-hour days, but find some time for yourself too. That's all for today's episode of How We Run. Please check out goodwaysinc.com to find past episodes of this podcast and other tips about working in nonprofit. If you have any questions you want me to ask a funder on this podcast, you can tweet me at goodwaysinc. Please subscribe to How We Run on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app and leave us a rating and a review. Thank you for listening. I'm Julie Lacature, and we'll see you next week for another new episode.